little check called walk on by but right now it's time for politics uh, good morning uh, john moore and phil ferguson how are we pretty good how are you jamie I'm, I'm great i'm great welcome to the show right we're going to get straight into it we're going to talk about the uh, there was a a debate on the Maori television um, uh, channel a couple of days ago, and, they and they've run their own poll um, with Read Research, um, which I was quite surprised by. I thought they would have gone Colmore Brunton, seeing they're uh, government-owned, and mm. that's what uh, One News uses, but um, I guess not. Uh, but uh, the, the Red Perils on the march, uh, Labour well ahead um, in both the preferred Prime Minister and preferred party stakes. Um, what are the numbers, and should we be surprised? Yeah, so Jacinda Mania has hit the Māori electorates as well, and we're seeing that in terms of preferred Prime Minister. So in pre preferred Prime Minister stakes, uh, Jacinda Ardern, amongst Māori enrolled in the Māori electorates, uh, is on 42.2%. Um, behind her, which might be a surprise to many, is Winston Peters on 17.5%. Mm -hmm. Bill English, 5.5%. Calvis. Calvin Davis, who's the deputy leader of Labour, is only on 3.3%, and the Maori parties to Uaroa Flavel is only on 3%, mm. which, yeah, it's, it's, it would be hugely embarrassing for the Maori party as they see themselves as the legitimate voice of the Maori electorate. If we look at preferred uh, parties amongst Māori enrolled in the Māori seats, again, just to emphasise that, Labour is on 46.5%. So that's that's a significant uh, upturn from the last election. Uh, the Māori Party is on 17.5% and then New Zealand First is on 13.8%. Um, the Mana Party, which does actually still exist, yes. uh, the Mana Movement of uh, Honi Harawera, is only on 1.8%. So uh, I, I doubt very much that Honi Harawera will be getting uh, mm. back in this, this election. Um, he's competing against Calvin Davis, and I think with this whole uh, Jacinda Mania and upsurge for Labour within the Maori seats um, themselves, I don't see... Um, Honihawa Wera having a show no. and I think the, the, the Māori Party itself could um, easily be wiped out at the moment the Māori Party has one electoral seat and because of the percentage of the party vote they got that was bumped up to two seats in Parliament now um to Uraroa Flavel has to win yeah. uh, his seat. Waiariki, he has to win that seat again for the Māori Party to have any chance of surviving and getting any seats in Parliament. He's competing against Tamati Kofi, uh, TV celebrity, Dancing mm -hmm. with the Star celebrity. So I think he's going to, I think Tamati Kofi has a real chance of beating to Uraroa Flavel. Interesting. Um, now, New Zealand First, they're doing quite well, Phil, um, and they're the ones, you know, they want to get rid of the mouldy seats, but the, the head, uh, head honcho says he does. Uh, we're not quite sure what the rest of the party thinks, uh, but you never get to know what the rest of the party thinks really either. Um, but Shane Jones has kind of signalled that uh, he's not really interested in getting rid of those seats. Yeah, I think if Winston was in government, um, he might change his tune or it would be put it could well end up being put on the back burner, mm. um, especially if he's he happened to be in coalition with with Labour, because it's in Labour's interest probably to keep the the Maori seats, especially if they've 
they, they manage to win all of them and think mm-hmm. they've got a fair chance of holding on to them if it is the end of the Maori Party. In the case of National, it probably doesn't make very much difference because they're basically after the party vote um, and there's not much for them to be gained for holding on to the, to the Maori seats. But I just don't think there's, there's a big demand at present to get rid of the, the Maori seats. No. So there's nothing much for Winston to gain from it. And if he wants to be a statesman in his last couple of years in Parliament, I, I don't think he really wants to be no, that to be known as his big achievement. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But it's interesting. What, what has happened to the Māori Party? Is is this Jacinda Mania or is this the electorate, uh, and especially the young, because if you look at it in, in terms of demographics, um, Ardern and the, and the Labour Party are... <coughs> You know, well over fifty percent. Uh, is this, a, you know, is this the young and, and a backlash from uh, inactivity really for Maori uh, through their uh, coalition with National? Um, it doesn't look like too much has been achieved. There's been a lot of talk. Uh, Fonga Ora hasn't really, nothing's really been mm. done there. Like it hasn't achieved anything that it's set out to achieve. Uh, you know, are Maori just disillusioned with with them and have just seen them as just being another um, cog in the wheel in Parliament? Yeah, they're all interesting points. I think what this points to is that that the idea that Māori should be representative exclusively by uh, kaupapa Māori parties, so parties with a clear Māori philosophy and Māori-centred outlook, um, the majority of Māori don't seem to have bought that idea. Uh, so both of the kaupapa Māori parties, Māori Party and the Mana Movement Party, uh, are getting tiny levels of support amongst Māori themselves I think if you look at it on the surface, it's quite hard to explain why aren't Māori rallying behind um, parties that stand in their name. I think if you bring in a class analysis into it, Mm -hmm. then it can become a bit more clear that... that, that Māori, the Māori Party arguably is seen as not representing Māori as a whole, but more representing those elite Māori or iwi elite Māori. Certainly the Māori Party has a very close relations with um, with the elite leaders of various iwi, uh, who are seen as being uh, on the right, uh, pushing for more free market policies, for more decentralisation of government service, services to um, Māori private Entities, and I guess um, arguably the majority of Māori don't see those policies as being in their interests. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Labour, as well as New Zealand First, are, are able to capture such high levels of support amongst Māori points to that maybe at this particular time Māori are more concerned about material concerns around housing, around employment, around health, uh, th- those big economic issues that the general electorate seems very concerned about, and also around concerns around inequality. There's been a hu- huge growth of inequality amongst Māori themselves since, yeah. since the time of the 1980s, where you've had the development of a, a very strong middle class and upper class um, sector of Māoridom, uh, but also um, amongst the, the bottom uh, levels of Māoridom in terms of wealth, um, you've had uh, growing levels of poverty as well. And certainly the Māori Party doesn't seem to address those concerns at all. Yeah, yeah. Mana did. 
um, uh, Holly Hawaura left the Māori Party and uh, was quite blatant in saying uh, the Māori Party weren't representing his people and that's why he split from them. But I think he sort of, it's hard to see him be, being legitimate and it's hard for people to take him serious when he's at, seriously, when he's actually jumped back in bed with the Māori Party, has an electoral deal with them. And on the Māori um, television debate this week, he actually uh, talked about the possibility of um, supporting a, a national led government. Wow. Which wow. was the whole basis of why he split from the Māori Party. I mean, there's been also been huge gentrification of uh, Māori communities, mm. uh, especially in South Auckland and areas like Whangarei, uh, Tauranga, uh, and, and um, other areas around the Waikato. Um, and so that, that, that itself could be seen as an, a, another problem and uh, you know you don't really hear much from the Māori Party uh, in terms of um, the housing crisis and it has affected um, Māori quite a bit Yeah and I think that is where the whole class element of the Māori Party comes in that really they represent middle and upper yep. strata of Māoridom, they don't speak for working class Māori. I think Marama Fox um, does try to articulate some kind of politics that is concerned about poverty and, and inequality, but predominantly the forces that you know control the Māori Party and and also, like John was saying, the links that the Māori Party has to the Māori elite work against that. I think it's also interesting, like thinking about when Labour's um, grip on the Māori seats was lost because the only party that has really seriously challenged Labour's hold on the Māori electorates was New Zealand First. Mm. Like, they won all of them. All of them, yeah. All of them, and they also won the party vote in all of them but one, and they, they almost won the party vote in that. Whereas the Māori Party, what, they won four or five at the, of the seven at the peak and they never won the party vote in any of them. Um, and I think that was also in, in a kind of strange way to do with class because Peters was seen as standing for more Keynesian type economics, you know, being to the left of Labour mm -hmm. economically. And so he was able to address Ma working class Māori, you know, in a way that <coughs> the Māori Party can't and in, in a way in which Labour you know, wasn't doing at the time either. So I think Labour will probably get all the Maori seats back. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a real possibility. So it's but but real. It's, it's, it's not going to be good news yeah. <laughs> for, for Maori. I, I don't think, you know. Labour will go back to... I mean, when, when I was young, Labour had all the Maori seats and they ran people in those seats that were just not going to rock the boat for Maori. Um, rock the boat for Labour. You know, they were just Labour functionaries who were so so grateful to having seats in Parliament because it meant they didn't have to do hard, you know, physical labour, which was what most Māori did in those days because there wasn't a Māori middle class. Um, and Māori, and Labour just treated Māori voters with contempt. OK, it's going to be uh, interesting one. So you think, you think this is a death rattle. Could the Māori Party come back? Uh, or will we see the rise of perhaps another 
Māori um, Party? Yeah, it's hard to say. If, if the Māori Party is wiped out in this election, then it will be very difficult for them to get back in Parliament. Um, we can look at the case of the Alliance, for example, which um, you know uh, had quite a number of MPs in Parliament, was in a coalition with the Labour Party, and when they were wiped out from Parliament, they just went from maybe polling at, say, 10 to 15% to polling at uh, barely 1 or 2%, and yeah. now don't effectively don't really right. exist anymore. New Zealand First, though, is, a, is another case study where they were wiped out from Parliament and, and were able to make a, a comeback. And yeah. So, uh, arguably, Māori still has a, a unique brand, uh, has something to differentiate themselves from the other parties. So maybe being wiped out from Parliament would be a good thing for them and they'd be able to sit back and reflect on where they've gone wrong. Yeah. Um, have, if they're capable of having an open debate within that party, maybe they'd be able to rebuild themselves and come back into Parliament. But they'd have to come back into Parliament saying something quite different yeah. to what they're saying now. Maybe being, being out of government for three years will be a good thing mm. because like we said I mean it doesn't look like they've done too much for grassroots Māori to be no, honest No and I think uh, possibly they just need to be a lot more humble that, that rather than seeing themselves as a legitimate, legitimate party for Māori that Māori su- should support they uh, will force them to think that they actually have to go to the Māori electorates and yeah. actually genuinely win people over to their position yeah, yeah. All right, I, I'm looking at my window right now to the Dunedin Hospital. I'm pretty sure I can see it crumbling before my <laughs> eyes, and I can smell asbestos yes. in the air. <laughs> um, fill us in, John. What's been going on? Okay, so there's been talks in Dunedin of the need for hospital rebuild for quite a while now. Um, the, the whole state of all the buildings is... is, is is not in a good state. Uh, yes, we've got asbestos in, in some of the uh, buildings and the rooms. We've got uh, leaking roofs. Um, yeah. And uh, so there needs to be a major investment. Um, being election time, both of the major parties are suddenly presenting some goodies to the electorate in Dunedin. So the... Um, uh, the National Party uh, last week, when Bill English was down to Needham, announced a major rebuild of $1.2 to $1.4 billion. Yeah. Um, Jacinda Ardern is going to be down in Dunedin today speaking, and uh, all speculation is that she will be presenting an alternative rebuild to Nationals. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that uh, Labour didn't come out with a position earlier. It seems like they're, they're, um, they're sort of stuffed up here in that uh, they hold both of the two electoral seats in Dunedin and you would have expected that they would have wanted to come out with a strong position to the electorate rather than just preparing to do a Me Too well, in David, regards to National. David Clark's been working very hard, I must mm. admit, um, um, for, for this. He's been uh, campaigning on it quite strongly and been talking about it for the last, what, four or five years. Sure, and I guess again, I, I, that surprises me that they didn't come out with a, a firm announcement of exactly uh, that how much they would invest yeah. in, in a hospital rebuild here. Um, Dave, um, yeah, David had come, has come out with a position in regards to National's policy on a rebuild, saying that uh, Labour would definitely want to rebuild in the central city, yeah. um, and that uh, they wouldn't involve uh, private enterprise in a, a, a private part a, public-private partnership to rebuild the hospital. So I, I think those t- 
two areas will be how Labour will differentiate itself if it does make an announcement today, how it will differentiate itself from National's yeah. position. Yeah, cool, because money is money. But I mean, National's been sitting, like, I mean, Tony Ryle's been, you know, obviously he's not Health Minister anymore, Jonathan Coleman is. But we heard, you know, just drivel out of the guy's mouth for, for years. Oh, mm-hmm. yep, yep, no case studies, case studies, yep, more, oh, well, another five million, another case study, this, that, then the board gets dissolved and they bring in their own board and still more of the same bullshit. And during that time, the emergency department gets downgraded, so now people can't train in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the University of Otago, you've got Waikato University knocking on the door of a medical school, uh, which is very really dangerous for us. We need a top quality um, teaching hospital in the city um, and yeah it, it just seems like they're just they're doing it now because they're in a little bit of shit I, yeah I find the Dunedin hospital um, whole situation there really bizarre like as somebody who's moved here a couple of years ago from another major city and who's you know like aware of the importance of the Otago Medical School nationally I expected like Dunedin would be kind of cutting edge medicine <laughs> and that the hospital would be cutting edge but it's not, and in fact, there's equipment in the you know, in the uh, public main public hospital in Christchurch that not only do they not have at Dunedin Hospital, but s- staff, doctors, nurses haven't even heard of the equipment. Uh, it's okay. It, it's it's uh, yeah, it's so far behind, and it's so out of sync with you know having this you know world class medical school and the well I, I assume it's a it's a world class medical school um you know that's that's the key medical school in in the country still and yet there's this archaic hospital yeah it's it's just bizarre and yeah i mean the logic is like you just said about having a, a teaching hospital and it should be state of, that hospital should be state of the art. Mm, not only that, the staffing levels are appalling. Yeah, yeah. And how are these students going to get a good education? And people, are, yeah. you know, because it's not all about the education. It's not all about being a teaching hospital. It's about yeah. servicing the people of Otago South in a very wide area. Yeah, um, and not having them lying in, uh, lying on trolleys in the corridor. Yeah. And yeah, the running down of the emergency department, um, understaffing. Yes, it's bizarre. The amount of beds they've closed there yeah. over the past few years because they've had to close down whole wings of the hospital. Right. And, you know, the first time they shut down a wing, that should have been it. Yeah. Well, <coughs> shit, it's time. It's, yeah, yeah. Let's get in, let's do this. Oh, no, look, but we've got this giant sticking plaster, and look, it's the same colour as the <laughs> building, and we'll just spread it across it. It looks bloody great. And I think we need to be very cynical uh, about how National has uh, announced this policy right before the election. Um, Winston Peters has come out and said, Basically, this is, this is uh, not on for national to do this. There's, there's guidelines, cabinet guidelines, that, that, that um, make it clear that a government shouldn't announce um, major policy just before the election and use it as a way to gain votes in an election. Yeah, so um, national I, I seem to be going against the cabinet guidelines here and um, using this clearly as an electorate um, bribe. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, Labour's policy, I think one way they could differentiate themselves from national is by just doing doing saying that they will guarantee the position of the medical school in Dunedin, um, that it will stay as the major um, teaching facility for teachers in the country, um, and uh, which, uh, uh, as I understand, is not the position of nationals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, now, like, Cadbury's 
is shutting down. You know, the ra- what happened with the railway workshops. Yeah. And now the cuts at Otago University and then the state of the hospital. Like, what's going to be left? We, do they even know we exist? I wonder yeah. sometimes down here in Dunedin, you know. Like, oh, yeah. remember that place that had the gold that <laughs> yeah. time? You used, know? used to be the biggest and richest city in the country you know, for a while in the late southern 1800s. hemisphere, essentially. Yeah. Well, uh, us in Melbourne, after the, of course, um, um, the gold rush over in uh, Ballarat and, and whatnot. Uh, Dunedin is, imp- is quite important to national though, because although Labor's got both seats, a majority of the total party vote in the city is. National. I could see that changing this year, to be honest. Mm. Um, all right, but okay. So let's talk quickly about private um, public partnership PPP. You know, are we get they can build this new hospital and then we're going to see these turn gates at the entrances where people you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Quick, quick, get it, it. Oh no, yep, yep. Now you're in, you're out. Hurry up. So in any uh, sort of rebuild of schools or of hospitals, of course private enterprise is often involved to some degree. How that differentiates from a a, a PPP, a public-private partnership, is that with a private-public partnership, um, a private company or a group of private companies may be given control over not just rebuild but the maintenance of of that hospital. So the money therefore comes from the state uh, to pay that private enterprise to effectively run a component of a a public entity. So we've already under national, we've we've had schools that have been built, that have been built and continued need to be maintained by a private enterprise. So it doesn't mean that students have to pay any fees now because it's being run by a private enterprise, or well, that's always a potential, but what occurs is that it's purely private enterprise that is, yes, building and maintaining uh, the running of, of that public entity. So for example with schools, whereas um, uh, the... the um, the school councils that are running the schools would normally be involved in making decisions around maintenance and, and buildings, but suddenly those decisions are, t- are taken out of that democratically elected body and given to a private enterprise to make yeah. those decisions. And so if there was a PPP with the um, public hospital here down in Dunedin, then again, some of those decisions that are made by the District Health Board, which in theory is meant to be a democratically elected body, um, so <laughs> be taken out of the hands of that for a long time, no, it mate. Hasn't, no, it hasn't. But um, yeah, that some of those decisions will suddenly be given to a private enterprise, which of course makes it more difficult if, if people feel like they want to complain about um, aspects of, say, the running of a hospital. Yeah. And, and then it can be sort of uh, those questions can be suddenly given to or deferred away from the democratically elected officials. And, and, and with the argument, well, it's now a private enterprise that is be given the contract to maintain hospital services. So I'd be worried about things like radiology, physiotherapy, mm. uh, you know, certain departments like, like that. I mean, mm. of course, not surgery and whatnot, but areas where a private company could, yeah, you know, oh yeah, we'll partial, we'll help mm. fund, but you know, we're going to be running the radiology department. Yeah, I read this week a, um, a report from the World Health Organization, um, and they did a, a comprehensive study of uh, PPPs in relation to um, health services. Their position was, uh, or their finding was that, yes, 
this um, involving private enterprise and the building and maintenance of hospitals does speed up the time in terms of uh, rebuilds and it does in some cases lower costs. Um, however, the, the standard of the services yeah. and, and the buildings etc. that are delivered by private enterprise is often a lot lower than you would have if, if the state was directly um, running that rebuild and the maintenance of that public entity. So I guess that's a concern, that, that the quality of the services that we would get and the quality of the, the rebuild if, if private enterprise was given um, the direct say over that rebuild. Yeah, and now, and now, any final thoughts on that one, Phil? Yeah, there's a whole problem, isn't there, with the commodification of public services and this argument that private enterprise does it better. And actually, there's bugger all evidence that private enterprise runs public services better at all. And the whole way in which they're going to get contracts and get into into the, the PPPs is through... Um, Cutting costs. Uh -huh. So yeah. they're going to cut cost, costs on the buildings, they're going to cut costs on wages and conditions mm. for workers as well, yeah. and there's going to be less democracy. So for the vast majority of people, um, it's a lose lose situation. Less democracy and poorer pay and, and poorer conditions for for staff, especially the staff right at the, at the, the bottom of the yeah. pecking order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've already seen it with the food there too. Come yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much, gentlemen. We'll see you again uh, next week here on the Radio One Politics um, Breakfast Politicy thing. Sure. Yeah. Here's Rackets Cage Five.